0: So, uh, if you want to turn to Luke 7, we're going to be kind of in Luke 7 the whole time. Um, this was a, a, something that I came across when I was leading a Bible study in a school. And I was teaching on Luke 7, and I was like, wow, this, this whole chapter flows so well together. And we don't have time to get to every little aspect of it um, because there's just so much there. And I want to really dive into what we're getting into. But, um, but it just flows so well together, and it talks a lot about our relationship with God And how we should relate with others, which is really the two biggest questions that we have to figure out how we're going to be, how we're going to live. How do we, what do we feel about, how do we interact with God, and how are we to interact with with everybody else that's down here. So um, so we're going to start in Luke 2. Um, It says, There is a centurion's servant whom his master valued highly. He was sick and about to die. The story is not really about the servant. The story is more about the centurion, okay? So what is a centurion? It's a, it's a Roman officer, a Roman soldier, but he was more than just a soldier. He was in command of other soldiers. Um, and so then we're like, okay, why is he in Israel? Why is he in this area? Um, Israel was currently, during the time of Jesus, under Roman rule, under, in, the, in the Roman Empire. Um, it was over Israel, They had been conquered by them, but when the Babylonians would conquer them, they would take all of the Israelites, force them to leave their homes, and spread them out throughout the entire empire so that they couldn't come together and and fight back, right? They would spread them out, spread them out, their entire lives would change. They were supposed to adopt these other gods and all of these different things. Rome, when they conquered them, they pretty much said, You can stay living how you are, you can stay with your in your homes, with your government, your laws but you need to pay taxes to us and our laws are more important than yours so if you don't if you break one of our laws you're going to be punished for that right so so they pretty much said hey we just want your tax money we just want you know we want to be in charge but you can keep doing your thing and so that's why there's a lot of talk about the the law the the Israelite law and like what what the laws they had and then also the Roman law as well so anyway that's why he's there and, and the, the centurion, the officers, the soldiers were there to make sure that Israel wasn't building up an army to try to fight back. They wanted to squash any kind of rebellion um, and they had the power to do so. And they wanted to have you know soldiers there to enforce taxation, to make sure people were paying their taxes. And a lot of times when they would squash rebellions, they didn't do it kindly. They were trying to put up this display of, hey, don't try this because we will take you out. And, and so they were often... Unkind and how they and how they were these these Roman officers and that's the, you know in scripture they always have a kind of a bad rap, except for this story um, and so this guy was different uh, this centurion he was he had Jews on his side, and so we 'll see that in, in verses three through five it says the centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders uh, of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant so he had some friends who were Jewish leaders, and he said, "Hey, go talk to Jesus, get him to, to come and and help when they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him. This man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and he has built our synagogue. Okay, so they're like, Yeah, centurions they're awful, but this guy's different, he breaks the stereotype. Um, and and so you know, let's do this for him, Jesus. Let's treat him as well as we can so that he continues to do this. And maybe others will come along and, and be kinder to us. And um, But he deserves to have this done, right? He built our synagogue. He helped us get that done. And and I love that they use the word deserve there, right? Because we like it, we like to live our lives by deserves, right? Somebody deserves, to be treated well, you know, like if somebody's kind, if somebody's nice, if somebody uh, goes out of their way to help others, we're like, that person deserves kindness. That person deserves good things to happen, right? But the times when people are are doing the wrong things, they, they get what they deserve, right? Or I hope they get what they deserve. Or, or if we're driving on the interstate and somebody's zigzagging through traffic and almost runs you off the road, and, and then a few minutes later you pull up and you see them sitting on the side of the road with a police car behind them, you're like, okay, that's sweet justice. They deserve that, right? Anybody ever had that happen? And then you keep driving a little bit, and you look over, and you see it's Pastor Ked, and, and he's sitting there like this. Oh. Um, <clears throat> no, he, I don't know. That's probably never happened. But But, you know, we like it when people get what they deserve, right? We like it to work out that way. What did this centurion actually deserve, you know, for his good works, for his Helping, helping the Jews out, helping build their synagogue, what did he deserve? Well, we know he was a person, and he wasn't Jesus, and so we know that he sinned. And what do we deserve for our sin? Death, eternal punishment. Um, we, we deserve the opposite of life, right? And so, so that's what he actually deserved. With all of his goodness, with all of his good works, he didn't deserve Jesus to come help him. He actually deserved death. Um, but Jesus, being who he is, um, goes with him. Verses six through ten says, uh, "So the so Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to him. Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I didn't consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and the servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell one go, and he goes. I tell one to come, and he comes." I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him, turned to the crowd following him, and said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house to find the servant well. Okay, so Jesus gives him, you know, he gets this, this interference. These guys come to Jesus, and they're like, hey, the centurion said, don't even bother. You are you are you are too too great to come into his house. He doesn't deserve to have you there. Just say the word and it'll be done, right? Showing this incredible faith, and Jesus talks about wow, what what faith he had that he was willing to just you know to, to know that I could do it even from here. I haven't even seen that in Israel, right? And they, he again uses the word deserve, right? I don't deserve. He came with a humble heart. Um, this was a guy literally. He, the, the, the Roman officers would have had authority over anybody in Jerusalem. They would have had authority over everybody there, right? And so, so he was in this great place of authority but says to Jesus, I don't deserve to even be in your presence because, you are, because of who you are, right? Um, that is, that's powerful. And I think that's, um, that shows us kind of how, how we are to live, how we are to, to go to Christ, right? So often we go to Christ in prayer, Jesus, do this, do this, do this, and then do this, because I know everything and I'm right. And, you know, yeah, you're God, but do these things for me, because that's, that's the right thing to do. And when really we should go as, a, as the humble servant of God, you know, I'm pleading with you for this, but your will be done, right? Um, so then, then the next little chunk in Luke 7 is a story about a widow whose only child has died. And, and Jesus goes, and he shows compassion, and he shows love, and he, and he shows his power, and he raises this, this child back to life, um, you know, saving her from a life of just, uh, of, of being a widow with no children, which would have been um, different back then, obviously, like horrible back then. Um, and so it shows his compassion and his love for us even when we're hurting. And then the next chunk um, is a conversation of, with people trying to talk to Jesus about John the Baptist and who they should follow. They were kind of with John the Baptist for a while, but should they come over here and, and Anyway, it's about, it's about whether Jesus is the Messiah, and spoiler alert, he is. Um, that's what comes out of that little conversation, so you could go look back into it, but I um, really want to dive in deepest into the last uh, story, and it ties in great with the, the centurion. Um, there was a, a Pharisee who asked Jesus to come to dinner. Right, the Pharisees were these, they were the teachers of the law, they were the ones that kind of oversaw people, made sure people were following the laws. Um, they were the holier-than-thou type, and, and they were trying to figure out this Jesus guy, because he was doing all of these things that were beyond what people should be able to do, so they knew God was, was working through him but they didn't know if he would really fit into their mold or if he was one of them. Um, they're trying to feel him out, right? Okay, is this Jesus, is he, is he with us? Because we really like our, our way of life and, and don't want that to get messed up. So hopefully he can just kind of blend in with us. Um, but that's not really what Jesus had in mind. So uh, Luke seven thirty nine or 36 through 39. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who had lived a sinful life learn that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. She wiped them with her hair, kissed and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Okay very much the holier-than-thou type of attitude. Oh, look at this lady. If he knew who she was, he would tell her to get out of here. Um, I can't, this is such an embarrassment. I can't believe she's here when Jesus is here. You know, all of this. Can you imagine being the person that comes to Jesus and says, hey, Jesus, how you doing? Welcome to my house. I'm glad you're here. Have a seat. You know, I'm going to be, you know, taking care of you today. What do you want? You want chicken or beef? You know, whatever. Like, you know, can you imagine that conversation like, being almost like you're on an even playing field with Jesus, because that's what the Pharisee was doing. He was like, do you fit with me? I mean, I know I'm a teacher. I know I'm, I'm holy. I know I've followed all of the things that I have to do to be righteous. Are you on my level, Jesus, right? Or would you rather walk up to him, as this woman did, saying, Jesus, I failed. Like, I've messed up. I have sinned. I have, I have, I'm not perfect, and I need you, right? Because she, she would have heard, maybe she had an earlier encounter with him, Maybe something happened where she knew for that he was the Messiah, the one that they'd been waiting on, that was going to take away the sins of, the, of his people, right? They were waiting on a Messiah, and so she's like, i got to go see him. i got to get to him. And I don't think her tears were just tears of guilt and, oh, I'm so bad. I think they were also tears of, thank you, Jesus, you're here. I'm so glad you're here. You know, I'm, I can't wait for you to, to free me from this bondage of, of my sin, Right? Because this lady, she was not, you know, the Bible could literally say about every human in the Bible other than Jesus, it could say, you know, Peter, who was a sinful man. You know, or, or anybody, you know, it gives this description of her, a sinful woman. It could have done that with anybody because everybody that's not Jesus is sinful. We are all sinners, right? But they specifically say it about this lady which means she was like an ultra sinner. She was, she really, really lived a sinful life, and, and maybe it was part of her job, you know, there's specula- speculation she was a prostitute, um, whatever, she was, she was kind of the, a, a big time sinner, and, and yet, you know, she came at Christ's feet bawling, because she knew that she had missed it, she knew she had failed, um. And, the, and the, the Pharisee, right, to have him sit back there looking at her and being like, oh, I cannot believe that person came in here. And look how she's acting. I can't, Jesus, if he needs, he needs to figure out who, maybe I should tell him who this lady is so he can get her out of here because she is just not somebody that we want to associate with. Right, because they had all of these, they had all these, um, you know, rituals and, and things that they had to do. And, and to participate, they had to be ceremonially clean, right? They would have had to um, do all of these, make the right sacrifices, go, jump through the right hoops, do all these things to be ceremonially clean. And if they did the wrong thing or encountered the wrong person or, or some, whatever, they would be unclean and they wouldn't be able to, to go into the synagogue. They wouldn't be able to do all these things. And so, you know, by, by associating with sinners, you know, Jesus, it's almost like he was, they, he was looking at him as Guilty by association. The Pharisee's like, well, Jesus is guilty by association. You guys have heard that phrase? Like, the, like in criminal law, I guess, if you're, if you're in the car and somebody does something, you could be guilty just by being with them, right? Um, it's this guilty by association. And I don't understand it all because I, I don't get into that very much. But, um, but I've heard the phrase. And, and really, though, that's not how it works. Jesus is not made guilty by associating with us. We are made innocent by being associated with him. We are, we are made, we are cleansed because of our relationship with him. Um, and, and really, we sometimes try to live that same way where we're like, oh, I can't be seen with that group or else people will think, what will people think? And really, Jesus has called us to reach the lost. He's called us to love the lost. How can we love the lost if we don't know them? Um, Aaron's reading a book by Bob Goff. Anybody know Bob Goff? Okay, If you guys know Bob Goff, if you don't know him, write down his name. It's really easy, Bob Goff, G-O-F-F. He is a great Christian author, Um, writes writes just about love and living out love, the love of Jesus. And um, we both read his first book. She's reading a second. I'll read it after her. Um, But one of the things that he was, uh, I think it was in this newest one she told me, um, he said, you know, specifically talking about loving our neighbors and, and knowing them, how can you love your neighbors if you don't know them? How can you love your neighbors and show them God's love if you don't talk with them, if you don't and have encounters with them, if you aren't purposefully trying to go out and, and show them God's love? If you're not trying to be in their life, how can you How can you share the gospel with them? Um, you know, it's, it's not just going to be from, well, you know, he sees how much of a Christian I am because I get in my car and I drive off and I don't maybe— run anything over, or hit his mailbox, or anything. Like, he's not, it's not that way. We got to be intentional in, in loving the lost, and it doesn't just stop with our neighbors. It goes to our coworkers and and everybody that we rub shoulders with. You know, are we, are we, are we staying in our Christian bubble of, okay, I'm, I'm going to just only know Christian people, because they'll be the ones that lift me up. I agree. Your best friends, the ones that have influence on you, absolutely should be Christians, because if they're not, they're not going to lead you in the times when you need lead. They're not going to lead you towards Christ, but you absolutely should have friends that are not Christians, and, and you should have, um, you know, relationships with them so that you can you can be there for them, and love them the way that God does. And so, um, so anyway, the the Pharisee is is looking at this as I don't need I don't need I don't need your help, right? Um, he's looking at Jesus as as a as an equal. So Jesus goes to tell him a story. Um, I love it when Jesus responds. Like this guy said this thing in his head, and Jesus responds to his comment in his head, which should tell you something. Um, but Luke forty or Luke 7, 40 through 43 says, Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One of them owed 500 denarii, or, uh, 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave both of the debts. Now which one of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the, be- the bigger debt forgiven, you had judged correctly, said Jesus. So, so he's, he's telling this story. And just to put it in our terms, um, you know, 50 denarii, a denarii is about $80 because it's, it's the, a daily wage, which Google says is $80. So um, if you do 50 of those, that is $4,000. And then the other person, if you do 500, that's $40,000. Okay, so, so you have a $40,000 debt and a $4,000 debt. And the, the person who lent them the money says, "I need the money," and they both say, "We don't have it." He says, "Your debt's forgiven," right? Yes, this one's going to be more excited. He had a bigger debt forgiven, but I think the key of this phrase is neither of them had the money to pay it, right? Even though his this one's debt was only four thousand, um, which is still a, a large chunk, right? But he he was much less than forty thousand. They both needed the forgiveness. They both needed their debt forgiven and couldn't do it on their own, right? That's the, that's the picture. And yes, she is, she, you know, obviously the woman is, is the one in this illustration of who had the bigger debt and she's on her face bawling, you know, thankful that Jesus is there, right? But this guy really should have been on his face bawling as well because he couldn't cover his own debt. And he and this lady were on their track for the same punishment, right? Um, a couple of weeks ago, and I could tell lots of these stories because my son hurts me all the time. Um, he's four. But uh, we were, I was on the floor laying. Um, Brinley had, had, like, dis- taken apart a toy that she wasn't really supposed to. So I was trying to put it back together and just, like, the hard plastic, but something had broken. And, and so I'm trying to work on that. And she was feeling really guilty and feeling bad. And she said, I'm sorry, Dad. I said, it's okay. I, I, I forgive you. And, and then <laughs> while I'm, like, laying on the floor trying to work on this thing, Brody comes from this way and he's running. We had been wrestling, and he's running at me, and he jumps, and he tucks his knees, and he lands on my face, and he weighs 45 pounds, and his knees are made of bone, and it hurt a lot, and I, I'm sure that I, I grunted or I, ah! you know, whatever I did. I don't remember because I was probably concussed, but, um, but my reaction caused him to say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, and run out of the basement, like, just get out of there, and and so I had to go back to him and be like, you know, we were wrestling, and normally when he runs and jumps at me like that, I catch him, uh, or I, you know, wrestle him down, or throw him down, or whatever, like, we just, we, he likes to, to fight that way, and, but, you know, this time, it didn't work out right, and he was feeling so bad, And it hurt. It did hurt. I wasn't bleedy. I wasn't bloody. Bleedy. But um, but he, you know, he did. He felt bad. So I went and found him. I said, "Hey, it's all right. You just got to be careful. Like people's faces don't don't want to be hit by your knees. Um, So just just make sure I'm watching." And and anyway, I said, "You know, you're forgiven." When he was saying he was sorry, and and obviously, like, you know, those two hurt me different ways, right? So that's kind of how our we think of of forgiveness. Like, okay, I forgive a big. Thing or I forgive a small thing. That's not how it works for God. Um, I've got a, I got a little trash can back here. And sin for God, it is the way that he looks at it. Can everybody see the trash can? Kind of see the trash can? Um, so sin, the, the word sin actually came from an old archery term, okay? I'm not very good at archery, and I wasn't thinking I was gonna, it was going to be safe enough to, to bring a bow and arrow up here. And so I'm just going to use a trash can and paper. Um, but... The, the phrase sin comes from uh, missing a mark. So if somebody was, was shooting a bow and arrow and missed the mark, somebody I imagine would be standing there and hold up a little flag and say sin, right? That was the word that, that signified you missed, right? So if somebody does that, I tried to miss. Um, and, but I, I almost hit it, right? I was close, and, but that's, that's a miss, right? Or if I, was, if I was up here and I was trying my best and I was like, right? It went the wrong direction. It's way over here. This one's way farther than that one, and they are both sin, right? They're both misses. Neither of them hit the target, right? And so that is the way that God views our sin, right? The the Pharisee, yes, he was a teacher of the law. He knew all the stuff he was supposed to do. He did all the, he tried to follow the commands as best he could. He was close, but he still didn't make it, right? And this woman lived a sinful life. She was probably Just did the opposite of everything you're supposed to do, right? And she's way over here. But neither of them made it. Neither of them were in where they were supposed to be. And really the way that it would work is if one of you guys grabbed this trash can and took it out the back doors and over to the, you know, the daycare or whatever that's across the street and said, okay, now stand up on stage and throw the piece of paper into it, right? Because it's impossible. Like we could never, ever Accomplish what has been set before us. And that's on purpose. Like we cannot be righteous on our own because we are sinful. We are of a sinful nature. And because of that, we have to rely on Jesus. Because of that, we are desperate for him to take our sin off of us, right? That's what happens when we, when we confess, when we choose to follow him. The sin that has, that has, you know, dirtied us, the things that we have done that have, that have messed up our lives, all of that sin is picked up and taken off of us and put on Jesus when we choose to have faith in him, when we choose to follow him. You know, he, God looks down from heaven, sees us and sees perfection, just like he did when he saw his son. And he looks at Jesus and he sees our sin, and he punished him for that, right? So that is why it is so important that we understand our our desperate need for a savior, that, why we understand that we, we cannot do it on our own. We can't come to Jesus like, the way that the Pharisee did and say, you know, hey, come on in, have a seat. Um, because later on, it, Jesus says in Luke 7 is talking to him like, hey, I came in, and you didn't wash my feet. You didn't, you didn't greet me with a hug and a kiss. And yet this lady, who is the sinner, has come in, and she hasn't stopped, you know, just, just making a huge deal about him, right? Pouring this perfume, the perfume that she poured on his feet um, would have been worth about a year's wages, right? It maybe was the most valuable thing she had. She probably maybe inherited it. Um, different commentaries say different things, but but regardless, like she thought, she thought enough of Jesus to to pour this perfume on him, to use it on him, right? Instead of selling it and doing whatever, you know, she was she was that focused on her Savior. That's what I want us to be. I don't want us to be um, so so much like the Pharisees, where we where we go around town and we're like, I'm I'm, I'm a Christian. I was at church this week. I did this. I did, I do all of these things that that show I'm a Christian that person really needs Jesus, right? Or like we see somebody over here doing this thing, oh man, oh, that person, I I can't imagine, you know? Instead of realizing, yes, that person needs Jesus, so does this person, right? We all do. We can't do it on our own. We cannot make it. The only way that we can have our sin blotted out is by by looking to his son, looking to Christ and and saying, forgive me, right? You're my Lord, I'm gonna follow you. Um, you know, dying to ourselves and, and being born again, living for him. Um, So, so we have to be careful that we don't fall into that trap. Um, We absolutely, absolutely need Jesus. So in, in closing, um, I hope, I want to challenge you guys. As we, as we live out uh, this week, as you go from here, you know, really, really practice. Like, how am I loving the world? How am I, how am I, one, how am I being thankful every single day that that Jesus saved me, that He that He forgave me? Um, am I living that out? Am I am I practicing a heart of, of thankfulness? Um, and also how am I loving others? Because just just kind of going through the motions, like that's one, that's one way, right? Living living our lives um, as Christians doing, you know, but but not saying anything about the gospel, like, that's one way to do it, and people are saved through seeing that, and they'll come up and say, why are you different, you know, and and that's great, but it also, we need to be ready to give an account for our faith. We need to be ready to to share, yes, I love Jesus. That's why I'm doing this. Um, Today, we're gonna, we're gonna close with this, with this song, um, Reckless Love. I don't know if you guys have heard it, or not, um, I saw a, te- a few of the teens' faces light up. Um, this was one of the songs that they played at our, at our conference, and just a really cool song. Really, really beautiful. Um, in the song it says, I couldn't earn it, I don't deserve it, right? Um, which, you know, when I saw that at the conference, I knew what I was talking about. I was like, wow, that, this, is a, this is, it totally fits. Um, we, we cannot earn salvation. We can't be good enough. Okay, our, on our best days, on our, our righteous acts are filthy rags, right? That is, that is that's what scripture says, that, that we, we are not good enough on our own. Even when we do great, we are not good enough on our own. But Jesus is good enough. If we turn to him, if we rely on him, if we die to our own wants and our own needs and our own desires and choose to live our lives for him, then we will gain our life. Um, we can't make it on our own, but we can with him. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we, we cannot thank you enough for the sacrifice that you, that you paid for our account. God, I, I just pray for those in this room who maybe don't know you already. God, that, um, that you would reveal yourself to them, that you would bring them to you. God, that you would surround them with Christian loved ones who, who, can, who can teach them about you and, and show them your face. And God I pray for for those in here who have been Christians for a long time. God give them a a new refreshed love of you, uh, a, a a desire to live out their life for you um, and God I pray that none of us would become like the Pharisees where where we try to make Jesus be something that that we want um, or do something for us, but God that we would just that we would just Love him and love others the way that he loves them. It's in your name we pray. Amen.